my name is Antoine Miesch and I'm a computer vision PG student at uh, Inrad Paris. So I invited you on to talk about the paper you're an author on, How to 100 Million, Learning a Text Video Embedding by Watching 100 Million Narrated Video Clips. The title is quite self-explanatory, but do you mind giving us uh, the slightly more extended abstract version of what your research was all about? The goal of this work was to see whether or not it's possible to learn a text video embedding using narration instead of manually annotated video and uh, description. As a proof of concept, we scrapped uh, YouTube videos, especially instructional videos, also downloaded the subtitles that come with them to see whether or not it's possible to learn an embedding from the video and the text part using these narrations. And so the idea of using instructional video is that when you look at instructional videos, when people talk, they are mainly talking about what they are doing in the video, right? Mm -hmm. There is a correlation between what they are saying and what you see on the video, which is great because it's a way you can actually uh, leverage uh, natural language as a way of supervision for the video part. That's briefly an, like an abstract of what we did on the paper. The idea of the, the work was not about proposing new model, new, new neural network, but it's just a proof of concept that shows that, hey, it's possible from narration to learn an embedding. So this is quite agnostic from the model you use. We should not really focus on the model part, but more on the data part, because this paper is mostly data-driven than model-driven. What's better, a large corpus that is unannotated or a small one that is highly well annotated? And I guess you guys did some tests on that. Could you share your results? In the paper, we show that, for instance, for cooking videos, so cooking videos are quite um, similar to instructional videos because most of the instructional videos are cooking videos. Uh, we show that when you train your model on how to 100M, um, you perform better than if you train on a small but uh, manually annotated and cleanly annotated dataset. We evaluated our approach on UCOOK2, and on UCOOK2, you have a bit less than 10,000 videos that are cleanly annotated. So 10,000 is not that much compared to the millions of videos we have on how to 100M. In that case, we show that even though our data is not very clean, is, uh, is very noisy, the fact that we have them in a large amount allows to outperform the model that is, that is trained on this small data set. Okay, that is clean, but that is very small and that doesn't allow you to learn something very interesting. Then we tried also on just random YouTube videos and we showed that if you start to, uh, to have videos that begin to be very different from instructional videos, this strategy doesn't really work and you need actually to do fine tuning. So you just first pre-train your model on this large corpus of uh, non-annotated data and then fine tune on the small data set that you cleanly annotated. And that's provide a the best performance as opposed to if you just train on this small data set that is cleanly annotated. So the, the data is the key and it gave us a nice embedding. What can we use that embedding to achieve? In the paper, we use this embedding that we train on narration to then fine tune on the cleanly annotated data. The main usage that you can have from this data is actually from fine tuning. Do you have any examples or use cases of places where you've done that fine tuning or is that all still to come? We tried two different approaches. We have a model that is trained on these narrated instructional videos. And then we take this off-the-shelf trained model and directly test it to uh, some uh, data set, some uh, video description data set. So we tried on, for instance, uh, the YouCook2 data set, which is a cooking video data set. Mm -hmm. And it's working here pretty fine because the vast majority of instructional videos are actually cooking videos. In that case, you don't really need to fine tune because there is a lot of cooking videos in instructional videos. So it's already working quite well off the shelf. So you don't need to do fine tuning. 
But in the case where you just randomly take YouTube videos that might not be necessarily uh, cooking videos or instructional videos, this video might differ a lot from the instructional videos. And in that case, we show that if you take the off-the-shelf model that is trained on this narrated video, it's working okay. But then when you try to fine-tune uh, the pre-trained model on the uh, random YouTube video, you perform much better than if you just train on the some partly annotated uh, YouTube videos. So we, for instance, evaluated on the MSR VTT dataset, which is a dataset of uh, YouTube videos where you have both uh, YouTube video and annotation that were uh, provided by uh, human workers. And we show that in, in that case, we, we can perform better if we put train on our dataset than if we train it from scratch, actually. So you had mentioned the cooking data set, but also that you scraped a lot of YouTube videos. Could you comment on that procedure and whether or not there are common video data sets, kind of like how MNIST is very common in the image recognition world? So in video, um, data sets is very crucial. You need a lot of data to learn models. My, my point of view is that as opposed to images in video, we are lacking a lot of cleanly annotated data and large scale data set because it's much more cumbersome to annotate video because it's it takes much more time than annotating images. It's uh, much more expensive. So people, they, they are afraid of annotating video data set. And so if you look at the, at the literature, at the prior work, what we can consider as the image set of videos is called the kinetics data set. So it's a data set from DeepMind. It was published, uh, I think, in 2017. So it's actually YouTube videos, actually. It consists of, I guess, 400,000 videos which is much less than ImageNet, actually. And it has 600 classes. And so all the videos are annotated with uh, some human-centered actions. So this is uh, what we consider in the video community as the ImageNet uh, dataset, because we like to benchmark on it, like to pre-train DeepCNN on this dataset. The problem, if you look at this data, is that it's only for video classification. If you consider video description, having a description instead of a label, you have even less data, because it's even more difficult to annotate video with text as an annotation. And so if you look at the prior work, there is not much data set. And the largest one is only consists of 100,000 videos. And so that's quite limiting if you want to learn a deep net on this on the video description. And that's why we wanted to aim at a larger data set, let's say more than 1 million of videos. And so that's why we collected this uh, how to 100M data set, which we scrapped from YouTube, actually. Could you tell me a little bit more about the procedure to assemble the how-to 100 million data set? We started from the WikiHow website. So the WikiHow website is a large database of tutorials of how to do things. Uh, we managed to scrap all the tasks from this website. So I guess it was more than 100,000 tasks. Then we filter out the one uh, which were non-visual because you have a lot of tasks which are, for instance, how to build a business. This is not visual. You you won't learn something interesting. Like for a video model, there, there won't be interesting supervision for that. We only kept uh, visual tasks such as how to cook pancakes, how to change your car tire, how to put a plant, for instance. These are visual tasks that requires video understanding, right? Mm -hmm. At the end, we kept 20,000 tasks. For all of them, we query the task on YouTube. So if you have the, the task cook pancake, we search for how to cook pancakes on YouTube. So there is a, a YouTube API on that's called YouTube DL that allows you to download, to scrap a YouTube video based on the an input query. And so from that, we downloaded like uh, for each query, uh, hundreds of videos. 
which have automatically generated the subtitles. And so this is free. So you have the API that enables you to download both the video and the subtitle for free. So that's how we scrapped uh, the data set. At the end, it didn't involve any human annotation because the subtitles, they were actually uh, generated by some outer speech recognition models. There is no human involved in the generation of the subtitles. How do you then structure that raw data into something that you can learn from? So for each video, you have the subtitles. So the structure of the subtitles is, is very similar to the subtitles you have. If you download movies on the internet, you, you also can download the subtitles. And so the structure is the same. So you have timestamp. So for each subtitle, you have the start and the end timestamp of the spoken words. And so for each of them, you can actually select the associated video. So you can split the video based on the timestamp of the subtitles. And so this provides you some video and text pairs that you can use for training. Thanks to this week's sponsor, Brilliant.org. Head over to Brilliant.org slash data skeptics. There you'll find a convenient link to sign up for free. How can you go wrong? And I promise you Brilliant will be well worth your time. Brilliant is a problem-solving website and app with a hands-on approach and over 50 interactive courses. Brilliant's courses follow a well-crafted storytelling style that involves code writing, interactive challenges, and problems to solve. Brilliant has these excellent daily challenges that'll take you usually, you know, a few minutes to 10, 15 maybe. They're a great way to warm up your brain. And many of those daily challenges come with little references that tell you good courses you might enjoy. Three quick ones to recommend are number theory, scientific thinking, and toss-up between calculus done right and computer science essentials. Brilliant is a fantastically engaging way to learn and keep yourself sharp. You really owe it to yourself to check out their courses, so head on over to brilliant.org slash dataskeptics to let them know we sent you. That's brilliant.org slash dataskeptics. One potential challenge I could see you bumping into there is uh, I watch a lot of explainer videos when I'm trying to learn things, and uh, sometimes a person will give an instruction and give the action asynchronously. So for example, now I'm going to flip the pancake and then they flip the pancake. So depending on how you partition it, those two events might not line up perfectly. Is this a problem you had to face at all? The main drawback of this dataset is that it's not as clean as a manually annotated dataset. So, okay, you, you might have some example where you have some, someone is saying what he's doing, but he will do it like later or he's doing before. So that's might happen. Mm -hmm. So that's not a problem because if you consider a large window, so if you consider a large window for the video, the video might include actually the action. So that depends on how you process the data. For me, that's not a problem. Uh, the problems come with sometimes uh, when people talk about something very con conceptual. So sometimes they might just say something that's not really correlated with what you see on the video. And that's for me much more problematic than the asynchronous aspect of uh, instructional videos. So for instance, if you look at uh, instructional videos, sometimes people are introducing themselves and this is this is not very useful for the learning of the embedding. And so for me, this is much more problematic than just non-synchronized video and text stream. And how do you measure the success of your uh, embedding? What's the, the KPIs or qualities you're looking at? In the paper, we focus on uh, retrieval. So you can do both video to text retrieval and text to video retrieval. For instance, if you consider text to video re retrieval, as an input, uh, I give you a text sentence and you have to retrieve a data set of, let's say, 1,000 videos associated to this input query. You will have to rank all 1,000 videos and you measure how well your algorithm works by 
computing the rank of each uh, of the videos. And so you have uh, the medium rank, for instance, or you have the Ricolat 1, Ricolat 5, Ricolat 10, uh, merging if the, the video is retrieved at the top one, top five, or top 10 uh, video from the pool of 1,000 videos. Ah, the rank of the search results you got from yeah, the YouTube like API. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's very similar to what you will do with YouTube, but you do it with the, like, with the small chunks of video that you have pre-computed. When I first encountered your paper, uh, I found it very exciting because it seems to me that you could have access, if you put in the time, as you guys have done, to generate a very large corpus of these how-to videos, and that there's a good opportunity for transfer learning. But if I want to be pessimistic, I would say, how can flipping a pancake transfer to changing the oil on my car? Um, certainly, uh, cooking a pancake translates to cooking a steak or things like this. But I'm unclear how to predict the usefulness or how well something I can apply transfer learning. Do you have any sense or indicator as to how generalizable or transferable your embedding is? One important aspect you, you need to consider when collecting the data is the, the variety of the tasks that you are actually scrapping. So if you're only focusing, biasing your, uh, your data set toward cooking videos, of course, there is no way you can understand what those changing attire mean, right? The challenge here is how to actually correctly sample uh, YouTube videos so, to, so that you can cover a broad range of activities, right? If you manage to do so, if you have a very wide range of activities, at training, you will encounter a lot of different objects uh, that you see on instructional videos. And if you have this wide range of activities, you might actually encounter most of the uh, objects that you see on, on your life. And you, you might also mm -hmm. encounter all the, all the action that you see uh, every day. And so for me, it really re relies on how you collect your data. So if you have enough tasks and enough variety, it should be enough to recognize all the, the possible objects that you see uh, every day and all the possible actions that you see every day. To many people, deep learning models are a black box. And while that's fair, there's also been some efforts to try and unpack how they're working. Do you have any sense of what exactly your embedding learns about the videos? Uh, for example, like, is it learning that a certain type of wrench is, is probably associated with plumbing training videos? Or is there any clarity you can achieve like that? Yeah, so, so I just want to clarify that in the paper, we, uh, we are not really training a, a full deep CNN um, because it's like very, mm -hmm. technically it's very difficult uh, when you have 100 millions of uh, small clips. So instead what we did as a pre-processing step is that we have extracted some CNN features uh, for each videos. For instance, we took a CNN train train on ImageNet, uh, then we use them to extract the features that, that, that is the output of the penultimate uh, layer of the CNN. And this is considered as the input. So we don't really work on the raw RGB video. We work on pre-extracted CNN features, and then we build on top of that. We are not really learning the CNN features, but just, let's say, the last two layers of the network. So there is no way we can change uh, visually what the, the, the model learns, but we are only learning the, the, the semantic mapping. With that in mind, what sort of training time and uh, compute did you require to build the model? If you just train on top of pre-extracted features, for us, it took only uh, one, two days uh, using one GPU. It's quite fast because uh, once you have ah. yeah, once you have everything pre-extracted, I, I guess the, your network is quite shallow. It only consists of two, three layers maximum or four layers. The reading is very, I mean, the reading uh, is very fast because you don't need to read uh, whole RGB videos, but you just 
take pre-extracted features, which which is much smaller, so the reading speed is much faster. So that's why it's it's that fast on one GPU. But if you want to train on the whole RGB video, I guess it's much more challenging, and it's it might take several days and even several weeks, uh, depending on the cluster that you are using, actually. You're able to bootstrap very effectively with your method then. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, but the thing is we are we are constrained on, on working with uh, pre-extracted features, so it might not be the best uh, technique, but at least it's the, it's the only technique that we might, I mean, that we could do on a small cluster. Yeah. So I see several directions you could take the research next. Not all of them are likely to be fruitful. One that I suspect you wouldn't want to pursue is to have uh, more human annotated labels to go in and spend the time to do that. Another option could be to expand your corpus or to try different architectures or do the full RGB like you were describing. What is your intuition about the most fruitful paths that might uh, take things the next step? I'm not sure if the first uh, approach that you mentioned is the is the direction that we want to pursue because as I said from the beginning, we want to avoid having to annotate data, right? Annotating video data is very cumbersome and nobody wants to do it. Ideally, we would like no annotation uh, like we did on the paper. You mentioned uh, working on, um, on the raw RGB video. So that's one follow-up that we are considering. It's interesting because if you, if you consider a learning from the raw RGB video, you could actually fine-tune also the, all the full CNN layers, right? If you, if you have that amount of data and you can train the full CNN. I'm wondering. I mean, we are we are wondering if it's a, if you can actually train very good CNN filters that can actually be uh, transferable for other tasks. Because, for instance, uh, so far we only train the last two three layers. But if you are if you are able to train the full CNN, you might have, I guess, much better feature for the transferring of your of your CNN on, on on just random YouTube video or even movies. So that's what we mm-hmm. aim for. The second one is actually, as you said, uh, we would like to extend the corpus. I'm not sure if just targeting instructional video is the best idea because, as you said, there is things that you cannot learn just by watching instructional videos. If you look at documentaries, for instance, wildlife documentaries, so, so you have video and so you have someone commenting over the video saying what's visually on the video, right? For me, this is also a source of video that you could exploit that we didn't exploit. It can bring some valuable information that you cannot really learn on instructional videos. There's a lot of uh, wildlife documentary video on YouTube, and and this might bring more information than what you can learn from instructional videos. If you look at instructional videos, you don't have much uh, video about uh, animals. You only have uh, about uh, videos about cats and dogs. But if you want to have more knowledge about more animals, you won't find uh, them on instructional videos. But you, you could find them on uh, these documentaries. My guess is that if you are able to identify the good video to download, that might actually help learning your, your embedding. How can people reproduce, extend, or just learn from your results? The code, the models, and everything is publicly online on my GitHub. So theoretically, you could actually reproduce the results. But as I said, it's not that easy because first, you will need to download millions of YouTube videos, which is, uh, I guess it was more than 30 terabytes of videos. So if you have, a, I mean, I guess if you are working on your small desktop computer, it's, it won't be doable. Then you will need to extract deep CNN features from all of those videos. And so this is even more time consuming because in our case, we use 20 GPUs for like two, three weeks to just extract all the features. So if you have only one desktop computer with one GPU, I guess it's, it will be very difficult to reproduce the result. But if you have, let's say, 20 GPUs and you have uh, one month 
to to reproduce the result. Yeah, I mean it's that's that's doable if you have this. I mean a, a decent uh, cluster, and you don't really need to work in big tech company to reproduce, reproduce the result because we are. I mean I'm working on the public academic lab which doesn't have like a massive uh, cluster and we could do the, all the experiments. So if you have like a decent uh, cluster, it should be doable. So I initially found the paper on the archive, um, but I believe you're going to be in a conference coming up. Can you share some details about that? The paper will be presented at uh, ICCV 19 in uh, Seoul, uh, South Korea. So it will be in the end of October. I will be presenting the poster at the conference. So if you are, if we'll be at the conference, feel free to pass by the poster. I'll be happy to present the work. Given that you've done everything kind of open source and publicly available, do you have any aspirations for uh, contributions you would love to see from other people on the internet? Maybe contributing more videos in the right way or helping out in some road. Uh, what are the opportunities to be a contributor? So I would be very excited to see if people can actually have a model that can handle the noise in the data. Because I mentioned that the data is very noisy, right? Uh, because you have some narration might not be actually relevant to you, what you see on the video because sometimes people, they, they can just talk about something very conceptual and this might not have anything to do with what you see on the video. And if you just don't consider that, you will end up with a lot of non-relevant training pairs, right? Training video and training text uh, samples. Yeah. I, I would be very excited to see if someone can actually have a model that can actually overcome that issue and that can actually train and differentiate between data that is actually relevant and data that is not relevant. And we have tried several approaches in our case, and it didn't lead to something interesting. It was the same as if you just train on the whole corpus of uh, noisy and not noisy video. I would be very excited if, to see if someone can actually have a model um, smarter than what we propose that can actually just focus on the relevant videos and the relevant text sentences. Cool. Well, Antoine, thanks again so much for taking the time to come on this show and share your work. Yeah, I mean, thank you for inviting me. And uh, lastly, is there anywhere people can follow you online? Sure. So I have a Twitter account, Antoine77340. I'm mainly on Twitter. I also have the GitHub account, which is the same. So it's the same uh, nickname. And you can find all the code on my GitHub. Excellent. Well, I'll have links to both in the show notes so people can check that out.